Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Well, welcome to our second podcast in, in this series presented by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. I'm Chad Ellis, uh, tall CEO. And, you know, I'm absolutely delighted to have our guest um, uh, today, colleague and a friend of mine, Dr. Roel Lopez, the director of Texas A&M Natural Resource Institute. And he's also a tall board member. So thank you for joining us, Roel. I'm glad to be here, Chad, and, and hope uh, things are going well with your new position and, and leading the organization forward. So uh, really excited about that. Uh, I appreciate it, Roel. And, you know, it makes, um, you know, my transition makes it, you know, pretty smooth and, and as easy as any transition of just Blair's leadership as well as the board's leadership. So uh, it's it's been going very well. So, yeah, you know, let's, you know, I like to just kind of dive in and kind of just, you know, have a conversation and, and uh, you know, learn a little bit more about uh, uh, your institute and A&M and some of your work. So um, how about we just kind of just really dive off and you tell us a little bit about the Natural Resource Institute. Sure. So a little bit of, I guess, history, the, the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute, which was formerly known as the Institute of Renewable Natural Resources, so very similar name. Uh, we we uh, renamed or simplified the name uh, a couple of years ago, was established in 1978 as a unit of uh, AgriLife Research and AgriLife Extension, as well as the College of Ag and Life Sciences. So for those that may not be aware, when you hear the term Texas A&M AgriLife, it really is comprised of four state agencies, uh, Texas A&M uh, AgriLife Research, AgriLife Extension, the Texas Vet Diagnostic Lab, the Texas Forest Service, those are the four agencies as well as the College of Ag and Life Sciences. So that's the broader umbrella for AgriLife. Uh, so the Institute was established in 78, but really wasn't staffed until 2007. Uh, the first uh, director um, that really sort of laid the foundation for the Institute was Dr. Neil Wilkins, which many of you may know. So Neil uh, uh, charted the course for the Institute for the first couple of years, I was his associate director. Uh, he moved on to the East Foundation, uh, kind of a key partner for us as well as Talt. And, uh, and, and I took the, the current position in continuing that trajectory for the Institute. So both as a unit of research and a unit of extension, as you would imagine, we, we do not only the discovery and the acquisition of information, that's kind of our business, but we also uh, translate that information in, in a very much applied pragmatic way for, for key stakeholders, for uh, key users of that information like private landowners. And so that's sort of the, the, the background for the Institute programmatically. We work in four general areas or bins, if you will. The first is uh, the conservation of military lands, both inside as well as outside the fence line, so military. The second is uh, with wildlife uh, conservation in a very broad sense, uh, but uh, with an emphasis primarily on threatened and endangered species, so wildlife is the, the second program. Uh, 
you know, if, if you're going to have a meaningful impact in terms of conservation and land stewardship, uh, like a state like Texas and other similar states, you really need to work with private landowners in, in assisting and enhancing their current stewardship of these resources. So private land stewardship is a third. And last but not least uh, uh, is, is our work with land trends. So our interest uh, or basic currency, if you will, is private lands, you know, farms, ranches, family forests. We collectively term this uh, working lands. And so uh, understanding the current state of working lands, what's uh, some of the future challenges and, and what the trends are uh, in those rural lands is, is our fourth programmatic uh, focus area. So. Uh, military, wildlife, private land stewardship, and land trends. Great. Thanks, Royal. I mean, you know, you think about it from Talt's perspective uh, of, you know, it's, it's so important to have a great, you know, a partner and a collaborator, you know, as, as you and your staff and, and, and the Natural Resource Institute for, you know, all four of those things. It was really, you know, from a, you know, looking at it, of a private landowner and that freedom to operate and all of these components of, of you focusing on that wildlife and the, you know, the, the endangered and threatened species, looking at these, uh, you know, private land stewardship um, components as well as this land trends is, is, is really key. Um, I would love to hear you kind of describe and really kind of go in a little, maybe a little bit more detail around the Texas land trends and some of that work. Sure. So as I mentioned, that's one of our uh, program focus areas and, and for, for just reason, just because again, you really need to understand what's happening to our working lands, our farms and ranches to, to understand how to better program, how to better conserve and, and incentivize their, their continued sustainability into the future. So, so the, the land trends aspect of, of the Institute of NRI really started about 2003. Uh, so, so this was almost a, a pre-institute. And as I mentioned, uh, uh, the first director of the Institute was Dr. Neil Wilkins. And, and I give a lot of credit to Neil for uh, uh, working with not only folks within the Institute at the time or in the department really, uh, one of the academic departments on campus but also with a key partner of the American Farmland Trust. And so between this unique partnership of, of uh, AFT, as well as uh, Texas A&M, they went through the process of, of uh, establishing or defining the first uh, Texas Land Trends Report. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about what that means, but the Texas Land Trends Report really had uh, almost identical objectives to what our current reports have, which is assessing kind of the current status and, and trends in rural land ownership, uh, land use changes, property values, uh, things of that sort, looking at changes in land size, land use, uh, again, property values, trying to sort of project or look forward with the, what changes are, are occurring across the state and what where changes are likely to continue to occur uh, into the future. Um, looking at uh, uh, ways of, of uh, informing policy development that, that is uh, important and, and strategic toward the continued conservation of private lands. 
And lastly, having this kind of data available for, for decision making. So being able to uh, make decisions in a way that, that uh, we use the best available information and, and make the best decisions as, as we move forward. So the, the two primary data sets that, that Land Trends, when we use that term, sort of draws on is, is uh, county tax appraiser data from the comptroller as well as uh, the census of ag data. And what that is for, for those that are private landowners, every five years, the USDA census of ag, uh, the NAS is, is a agency within that, the ag statistics uh, service. And, and they basically, uh, among other things, uh, gather this information. So you, you may have gotten a survey, if you're a, a Texas landowner that, that asks things like, um, you know, what you work on, the, a little bit about your property, a little bit about yourself and so forth. And, and that uh, survey is done every five years. And so that's a, a common question people ask, you know, do, do you have more updated information? Uh, one, it takes a while to uh, capture that information and curate it, but, but the, the, the reality of the ag census coming out every five years uh, it sort of defines uh, the, the data points when we talk about trends. And what I mean by trends is, you know, what's happening with our uh, working lands? Uh, are we uh, seeing an increase in the breakup of, of these working lands? Are we seeing uh, uh, changes in market values and property values and ag values? Uh, things of that sort. And so much like the census that we do for people in this country, the Ag Census basically uh, uh, captures or describes what's happening to our land. And, and if you uh, uh, accept the notion that, that land, private land in particular, is, is sort of a base uh, um, uh, asset or resource uh, to all of us, then it's important to understand what's kind of happening to those rural lands over uh, a given uh, uh, time period and so forth. So. The first report was, again, developed in 2013. Uh, it's been repeated ever since then. Our more recent report just came out uh, here in 2017 data. And, and that's, uh, in essence, what land, the Land Trends program or project is. Uh, those five-year reports are, are the main pillar. But we also start to look at, at other focus areas like landowner demographics or maybe what's happening with the lands that are under conservation easement, things of that sort. And so that's uh, the, the broader, more robust program. And again, just trying to understand uh, various aspects of private land ownership and private land uh, management or conservation in our state. Great, so a lot of information and, and a lot to, to look at from, a, from the very first one that, that Neil put together to to where your last report was, um, you know, Roel, what's, I mean, some of your thoughts of, from that very first report, you know, what were some of those key findings from that first one that I would say sort of set the baseline and to this last report, you know, what were some of those key findings as well? Sure. That's a great question, Chad. And, and what's interesting to me is, uh, you can look at that report and there's been five, uh, I guess it would be four, four reports since then. Uh, the, the general findings and so forth really haven't changed much across uh, this 20 
uh, some odd year period. Uh, and, and I'll touch on each of those. Outside of the, the dates and, and the numbers and estimates, generally uh, the big takeaways, and, and I like to tell this to people because um, it, it's important, I think. You know, oftentimes we, we see what's happening with our, our rural working lands uh, by driving across the state. And, and really what the Land Trends project does is starts to quantify the, what we see uh, in, in driving uh, and looking through our windshields, right? Uh, and, and that was the work that AFT uh, as, as well as Neil sort of focused in on early in the process is trying to quantify those numbers to, to begin to tell a, a stronger story on, on what's happening what we can do to, to change that trend if the trend's not beneficial to, to Texans and things of that sort. So um, th those trends, and, and it's a process, are you know, the population, uh, the state population's increasing or expanding. You know, the, the first report started with about 19 million Texans. Uh, we're currently at about 30 million Texans, and that number is projected to go as high as 50 million by 2050. And so more and more people are, are moving to Texas. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a concentration of those populations in what they call the Texas Triangle. And what that means is, if you can imagine a triangle uh, between Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, uh, San Antonio, Austin, uh, as well as Houston. And so that, that uh, off-center portion of the state is is uh, where the majority of the, of the state population resides. Uh, other areas uh, where we're seeing uh, quite a bit of change in population numbers are borderlands uh, along the Texas-Mexico border. So more people then results in uh, another key finding, land market values. Uh, th those start to increase in the state. And when you have a higher demand uh, uh, due to, to more people, so the process again is is strong uh, economy uh, leads to more people, uh, people moving to Texas. There's an increased demand for rural land, uh, resulting in, in higher land values. But the, those higher land values is um, is not consistent across the state. So you you may see, for example, in the top uh, 25 populated counties in the in the state. Uh, the average change in, in value uh, is, is about $6,000 an acre uh, versus the state average, which is about uh, $2,000. So almost a threefold increase. And, and so as a result of, of that, that increase in certain counties due to greater demand on that rural land, you start to then uh, see uh, uh, fragmentation, meaning the you take a, a thousand acre uh, farm or ranch, you break it up, it gets sold, it becomes a subdivision, it becomes a strip mall, things of that sort. Uh, so, so more people, uh, greater demand, there's an incentive to subdivide or sell and ultimately uh, fragmentation and conversion. And, and um, I, I think it was Blair that said this uh, years ago and, I'll, and I, I love the, 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 the reference, you know, the last crop that we'll harvest is, is basically uh, pavement. And, oh. and maybe it wasn't Blair, if it wasn't Blair, it was her husband, one of the two said it. And, and, and that's so true, you know, the, 
this process of, of demand results in ultimately a, a loss of, of a, a farm or range. And once that loss occurs in, in terms of development or what have you, the likelihood of it going back the other direction is obviously very unlikely. So over the last almost 20 year period, we've lost about 2.2 million acres of working lands. We've seen increases in, in uh, uh, overall average landowner age, uh, which signals a, a large transfer of management and ownership is on the horizon. Um, you know, in the last five years, we've seen the, the, the fastest increase in, in loss of working lands. And when I say loss, I'm talking about conversion. It's going to a non-ag use. So that, that's basically the, the, the story, if you will, from not only the first report, but the second, third, and, and now even fourth. And so what, what we've been able to do is sort of document and validate that continued trend. Sometimes it's a little faster, sometimes it's a little slower. Uh, for example, the, the, the loss or conversion in the previous report was actually slower than it was in, in the, the more recent time period. And so, so again, there's a lot of factors or drivers from that, uh, namely stemming from the economy. So that's a, a quick overview of, of the, the, what we call the five-year land trend reports. Those are those mm -hmm. five-year updates. Wow. You know, you think about it, you know, Roel, from so what you just articulated and, and you know, the power of the land trends, right, of kind of th think through it from a, from a top perspective, it's, it, it's the big why, right? You just articulated the why to meet our mission of, of really, you know, of, of this heritage, um, you know, uh, conservation, natural resources, wildlife habitat, you know, and really being able to, to hand that, that legacy and heritage down to the next generation. I mean, you, this land trends really articulates um, these pressures that we have, um, you know, on, on this issue here. You know, one, on, on another thing, I, I think that it, it's, you know, another, I guess, offshoot of um, the land trends is, is some more of this data rich um, reports that you guys have put together, you know, really looking at, um, you know, you've done some other reports of land trends in the Texas borderlands, um, you know, around conservation easements, um, the landowner demographics are, are just a few to mention. Um, can you give us, you know, some highlights of some, some other recent reports that you've put together around these land trends? Sure, absolutely. So, so again, th this report comes out, uh, the primary five-year report comes out every five years. It, it takes uh, oh, quite a, a bit of time to curate or process, clean up the data. It's, it's pretty messy data. Uh, so by the time you do that, by the time the uh, federal government releases the data, uh, for example, we got the, the 2017 data in 2019. So, so many times they're, they're behind uh, a, a couple of years or what have you. So, so what happened uh, from our perspective is uh, we started uh, to incorporate other data sets that, that are actually uh, updated or available um, in a more uh, rapid fashion. We started to ask other questions uh, sort of between these five-year gaps, if you will. So. Uh, we're, we're not going to just sit around and wait for, for the next five years to, to 
better understand this. And so the, the reports that you've uh, mentioned are, are some examples of those products or focus uh, areas, questions that we ask uh, in between the, this uh, time period. So uh, Texas Borderlands, this uh, was a report that we did a, a couple of years ago to uh, sort of uh, better understand some of the, the trends that are happening along our, our uh, state's borderland, uh, the shared border with Mexico. And, um, you know, I mentioned the Texas Triangle, but, but borderlands are, are another area that's seen some pretty dramatic shifts in, in, uh, in land conversion and so forth. I, I grew up in, in the lower Rio Grande Valley and, and growing up as a kid there in, in the uh, you know, late 60s, early 70s uh, was, was really different. It, it was primarily agriculture. Uh, I was surrounded by, by orchards and, and uh, row crop and so forth. And, and if, if I were to go back to my um, uh, original home site, uh, which actually my brother now owns, uh, it's completely different. It's, it's uh, uh, medical uh, offices and, and it's become extremely uh, urbanized. Uh, so, so this is an area that, that's uh, of interest for, for a lot of reasons, because it, it's one of these areas that's losing uh, its rural lands at a very rapid uh, uh, rate. But in, in that particular report, we, we saw um, um, differences in, in, in terms of location, you know, uh, uh, in the mid part of the, the borderlands, you know, kind of Webb County and, and north of there, uh, it's still relatively rural. Uh, was one one finding uh, versus El Paso and and the the valley is, is dramatically uh, very much urbanized, you know because of the history of that area, how these uh, parcels were laid out uh, is is also very different. Northern counties uh, had larger kind of irregular shaped parcels that, that was used for ranching versus the 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 area closer to the mouth of the Rio Grande and, and the Gulf uh, was, was primarily ag farmland. And so the Spanish who settled that area initially established these things called porciones, which are basically uh, these uh, tracks that are real long fingers. And, and if you look at, at the map, uh, a parcel map for let's say Hidalgo County versus uh, Zapata County, uh, the, those porciones become real apparent because, you know, access to the river for, for irrigation and, and the irrigation system in the valley is pretty extensive. I, again, grew up uh, irrigating uh, uh, orchards and so forth with my family and, and neighbors, and, and that was just kind of a, a part of the way you, you sort of live down there. But all of that, like I said, is, is a lot of that has changed here in, in recent years. So, so those are just a couple of quick highlights from that uh, particular report. I don't want to take too much there. Uh, another report had to do with conservation easements. Uh, you know, TALT is, it really spends a lot of time with regards to conservation easements. And so better understanding what's happening or the value of those easements uh, and the value of the program that the state has, the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Conservation Program uh, that uh, we've done Actually, we're on our third iteration of that report, trying to sort of quantify the benefits of land conservation. What's the business side of, of, of land conservation uh, to an organization like TALT? 
And so that particular report uh, uh, really serves to dive into that and, and better understand what the, those values are from a water perspective, from a hunting uh, recreational perspective and so forth. Um, yeah, uh, uh, another report, and, and I'll stop here, uh, that, that we have looked at is, and I alluded to this uh, in my earlier comments, you know, private landowners uh, are, their average age is, is increasing uh, uh, over the last couple of years. You know, the average landowner is about 63, 64 years of age. And, and so what we're seeing is uh, an aging landowner demographic and we're, we're about to see probably a, a pretty significant shift in, in land tenure. And I oftentimes tell that to people is our country, our state is about to witness the largest uh, uh, change in land tenure in the history of our country. And so uh, better understanding what the future is likely to hold, uh, uh, current or newer landowners, if you will, I may have a different set of objectives, not necessarily wrong objectives, just a different set. And so being able to respond to that uh, absentee ownership, meaning uh, you own a farm or ranch, but you may not live on the farm or ranch anymore. You live in a city. Uh, so, so those are all things that present for, for unique challenges if, if we're in the game of trying to promote the conservation of, of rural land, of farms and ranches. And so those are just uh, three uh, sample reports that we've worked on in the last two or so years just to kind of highlight how, how that information ultimately can be used in, in the work that we do, Chad, and, and both the work of, of TALP but also in the work of other similar land trusts, uh, agencies, state, federal, and so forth. You know, there's a, there's a huge amount of impact in those reports and all of that body of work um, that you've done, Rowell. Um, you know, beyond just talk, you know, how, how's this data being used by policy makers and others? That's a great question. And, and uh, you know, when you look at um, some of the report, one of the reports I'm actually working on now is just editing the report draft uh, actually before we got on the phone here. You know, the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Conservation Program is the state's uh, uh, a leading program for for the long-term permanent conservation of, of rural working lands. Uh, other states uh, have similar types of programs. And so one of the things that uh, the land trends data and reports have served is, is actually to set that up. So, so years ago with that first report, the, um, the implications of the findings and so forth were uh, important in initiating purchase of development rights type programs. Well, that's uh, our version of that, the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Program, right? Um, but, but other land trusts uh, and similar kinds of organizations use uh, this information in the work they do and identifying areas of conservation. Uh, other groups like the Texas Rural Funders Collaborative, it, it's a collaborative uh, of uh, NGOs or, or uh, foundations like the Meadows Foundation, the Mitchell Foundation and so forth. Uh, this collaborative uh, uh, a few years ago really took an interest in, in trying to, they do a lot of work in promoting the conservation of rural lands, but they wanted to work 
collaboratively, to, to work as a partnership, to leverage their investments uh, in, in the various uh, great works that they fund in a way that, that could ultimately address this notion of uh, changing uh, uh, rural Texas and how to best uh, sustain and maintain the benefits that these rural lands provide us all. Uh, and, and that's something that I think is worth mentioning is, you know, these rural lands provide many public benefits, uh, whether in my case, I live in San Antonio, uh, I benefit from uh, a ranch up, up river, uh, upstream uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, an, another way that this uh, land trends project data has been used uh, includes in, in better informing uh, some of the uh, listings that are occurring, review of listings, if I should say, for threatened and endangered species in our state. So having that kind of information to know what changes are occurring, where those changes are occurring, what's likely to uh, uh, impact, uh, uh, you know, regulatory constraints uh, the, the, that may face our private landowners are, are a few examples of how this data has been used by scientists, by agencies, by policymakers to, again, uh, as I mentioned early in our conversation, Chad, it, it's, it's really uh, trying to make uh, use of information like this in our decision making. So uh, obviously having uh, a, a better sense of what's happening, what's likely uh, the, the impacts are for a given decision is, is, is better done when you've got good data to, to draw from. So Roel, I mean, how, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of information, a lot of data, a lot of reports, you know, how is all this information being shared and getting out there? So we do it in a couple of different ways. We actually have a website. If you go to texaslandtrends.org, texaslandtrends.org, um, a website that actually has that data that you can query. You can query it by watershed. You can query it by county or, or, or different types of regions. So, so that's one mechanism for sharing that information. Uh, you know, doing these types of reports, uh, presentations, podcasts, uh, uh, videos, all of this information is useful in, in telling that story. And, and so I think you know and appreciate this very well. You know, as is the CEO for TALT, uh, like in my case, uh, we're, we're storytellers. We're, we're trying to uh, uh, convey the notion of what's happening to our, our uh, this precious commodity of, of rural working landscapes and what the impacts are. And so uh, reports and, and these other media are a real effective way of doing that. Uh, participating in, in various kinds of projects. Um, for example, I alluded to this, uh, uh, our, one of our next reports is, is assessing the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Program. That was something that was requested by the, the land trust community of us to do. And, and we do that uh, very much with, with excitement and interest because what that does is it starts to, uh, again, make the case for the, the importance of the, that type of program and the kind of work that we collectively do. So participating in those kind of projects and lastly, uh, sharing data, sharing data with organizations uh, that, that are of, of like mind to, to further our collective conservation mission is, is something that we try to strive for and focus on. 
Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, this land transit information is is really critical. It helps us, you know, tell the story and 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 um, you know get people informed. You know, it's it's been a, a truly a, a key driver for top success over the years. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and it will be a, a, a key foundation for us moving forward. You know, you've been in, you've, you know, I mean, you've been involved with top from the beginning. And now you've, you know, in the last couple of few years have, have uh, served on the board, you know, from Roel, you know, I, I guess I would love to hear from your observation from Talt's evolution you know, from, from the beginning to the end and uh, appreciate your thoughts and insights of, of me, you know, especially stepping into this uh, new CEO uh, role. Sure. So uh, I, I've been um, involved uh, in some form or fashion with the Texas Ag Land Trust now for uh, a little over 10 years. And, and, and when Blair Fitzsimmons, uh, uh, announced her her uh, retirement and and uh, and putting talt in, in your hands it's it's all in your hands chad so no pressure <laughs> no and pressure one of, yeah one of the things i told her and it, it, i was very serious about it uh is is uh you know blair you you've done a, a great job in, in sort of laying the foundation and setting the trajectory for for the uh, organization and, and one of the things that strikes me um, uh, when I look at TALT compared to other uh, organizations, um, state, federal, uh, NGOs, and so forth is they're really viewed as a leader in land conservation in the state and beyond, uh, particularly as advocates for private land stewardship. And, and I think the fact that folks from the outside uh, and partners uh, with TALT, the, the fact that they look at the organization as that is testament to some of the, the work that Blair did uh, in, in those early years and, and, and continues to do. Uh, and even in a retirement, I, I can't imagine that, that Blair is not out there uh, advocating for and, and working for private land owners and, and the stewardship of private lands. That's just in her, in her DNA. And so that's also in the DNA of the organization and then and the DNA of the board members and, and supporters of the organization. So, you know, to me, the, the thing that's, again, so striking for, for Talt is it's really viewed as, a, as an honest broker. And I look at some of the, the landowners that, that have entrusted Talt in their um, in the management and conservation of their private lands. Um, you know, these are individuals that, that um, you know, obviously have given this a lot of thought, uh, that they in their own ways uh, serve uh, in, in leadership positions, uh, some of them across the state. Um, and so the fact that the TALT's kind of viewed as an organization that you can go to for, for that uh, kind of service and support I think is testament to, to the, the, the foundation that Blair and, and, and others have, have uh, put in place for the organization that sort of move forward. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, I, I, I think it's definitely, you know, you know me well, my passion of this private land stewardship and, 
these components and you know, I think it's, you know, as well as mine and, and Talt's, right, of this culture and, and um, that Blair kind of built together is really, a, it, it, I mean, ultimately, it really just really comes about how we help empower the private landowner to be better tomorrow than they are today and provide them a suite of tools, um, you know, to try to help them um, through that to be able to, to pass that legacy and heritage down and to, to keep our working lands working. And, um, you know, it's, ex it's exciting. It's exciting times, um, you know, of, of working with you and taking these land trends and, and other things um, to kind of, you know, put together the story and, and, um, and, you know, have that impact. So what are some other things you have on the horizon, Roel? And, you know, what are you currently working on? Um, Too much. Yeah, so I hear you. It's, it's, it seems like the, the things are always uh, pretty busy and, and, and uh, exciting at the same time. So, yeah, I alluded to some of the other work uh, from a land trends perspective. Uh, you know, we're uh, in the uh, near the end of, of updating the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Conservation Program. Uh, that's a, a, a report that we've done. I think this will be the third time. Uh, and what it does is it, it assesses the program and makes the case for continued funding. You know, the second report was uh, uh, an important factor in, in the program getting an increase in their budget. Uh, and so one of the things that we would like to do is, is again, continue to support organizations like TALT and, and having these kind of programs for leveraging uh, federal outside dollars, as an example, uh, and ultimately the conservation of private lands. Uh, we're also looking at, at uh, other reports uh, tied to a, a landowner survey that we did probably about almost two years ago. We've uh, published and have shared some of the findings uh, from that, but doing something a little more comprehensive and that, that report also is, is near its end. Uh, looking at um, uh, uh, trends in, in wildlife management and wildlife valuation. This is a, an area that's emerging in our state and has been emerging uh, in terms of the, the, the last couple of years. Um, you know, looking at, at differences and similarities between urban versus rural uh, lands uh, is another area. And probably the last thing, and, and in my mind, probably the most, uh, one of the more exciting ones is we're really, we've spent a fair amount of time the last couple months and, and hope to finish this uh, by the end of the summer, early fall, is, is a really comprehensive uh, web-based tool that can be used by private landowners, by land trusts, by state federal agencies. So it really takes our current uh, resources that are web-based, uh, data sets that are web-based, but, but uses it in a much more interactive uh, GIS kind of format. And, and hopefully that'll be available and, and be of use to uh, uh, those that are interested in ultimately conserving farms, ranches, family forests in our state. So well, that's, that's all I'm doing. Yeah, just in your spare time. Right. right. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and, and if I could say this, uh, you know, I, I've got the, the privilege of, of basically representing a, a group of folks within the Institute 
that really do the, the heavy lift. Uh, uh, I'm really nothing more than a storyteller for, for their work and, and what we collectively have been pursuing here and in the last couple of years. So I give uh, credit to, to a lot of different folks for, for the work that we do, uh, starting with Neil Wilkins to uh, folks within the, the GIS team, you know, Kevin Scow, Addy, Smith, uh, Smith um, uh, Ross Anderson, boy, I shouldn't have started naming names, Allison Lund, uh, and so forth. Uh, but but uh, they all know who they are, Brittany Wigner, Jim Cathy, and so forth. Uh, th these folks collectively, uh, as well as others, uh, helped in telling that story. Yeah, I, you know, first off, I, I just want to thank you again, Roel, for joining us and, and really having a discussion today about the why. You know, the first, first episode, you know, I, I was able to sit down with Blair of, of really kind of laying down the foundation and her thoughts in that. And then really having this conversation with you today was the big why. And, you know, appreciate having this, this dialogue and discussion. And more importantly, you know, I just want to appreciate, you know, tell you how much I appreciate you and your leadership as well as your team, as, as you mentioned before. I mean, without them, uh, it's, it's just amazing, you know, and I think uh, a lot of us, we get so bogged down in the, in the details of our work that, uh, you know, we, we truly don't take that opportunity to, to uh, really see the impact of our work. And I just wanted to, to thank you again for all the impact you have, you have provided as well as your team has pro provided. And, you know, our, I just really also kind of want to encourage everybody to really join our next podcast you know we've talked to Blair we've talked to Rowell you know we really you know this next conversation is really going to be through that producer's lens we're going to sit down with Bob McCann you know a fifth generation rancher uh, down from the coastal plains outside Victoria you know Bob is the true leader of the industry I mean hands down you know he's Bob has been the past president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association He's been the past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and he's the current chairman of the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, and he's also a board member of TALP. And one thing, you know, we're going to sit down with, with, with Bob and really just have these discussions uh, and really visit about the pressures of ranching, you know, this, this freedom to operate, you know, about sustainability and conservation, and just really kind of tie some of the things that Roel and I had the discussion today through, you know, through that producer's lens. So hope everybody can uh, join us on that, that, the next podcast. And until then, appreciate it. And everyone have a blessed one. Thank you. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.